0: X-Podcast episode 77.
1: Hi, and um, welcome to UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat axbom And, well, this week we've
2: um, got another guest.
1: And who yeah. is it? <laughs>
2: Caroline Jarrett, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here.
2: Thank you for joining Excellent. us. Yeah. Uh, so, Caroline, uh, where are you located at right now?
0: I'm in a little town called Leighton Buzzard. Uh, which is just like the bird, B-U-Z-Z-A-R-D. Okay. Um, We're about 50 kilometres northwest of London, um, quite close to Milton Keynes, if you know the UK. Um, And yesterday was quite an exciting day for my area because the Duchess of Cambridge came to Bletchley Park, which is about 8 miles or 10, 12 kilometres from our house. Um, in order to open the Bletchley Park, uh, which has just been refurbished, um, we didn't go and cheer, but we supported her by thinking code-breaking hmm. thoughts from our house.
1: Oh yeah, I read something about um, about Kate and code-breaking, and and well, I saw the headline <laughs> and glossed over it. Hold on. well. Good honour. Oh, I didn't realise okay. it was Leighton Buzzard that you, uh, she was at. You've, you've no, got she to No, she
0: was at she was at Bletchley Park, but oh, it's, it's, it's pretty close, enough. Close. Yeah. <laughs> close enough. Yes, Leighton
1: Buzzard. <laughs> you've got to love British mm. place names. They're they're abs- driving, around the UK, driving around mm. the UK. Driving around the UK is fantastic. Just looking at all the signs. It's. I mean, there's some great Swedish ones as well, to be honest. But you've got to understand Swedish to get the, be- the most benefit from them. But the
2: pronunciation isn't always obvious either.
0: Well, as as you probably know, I'm a, I'm a form specialist, and whenever I encounter a u.s website that insists i put on a state u.s state i always choose arkansas because <laughs> it seems to me that a town called buzzard would be in arkansas and um, of course, <laughs> and, and lovely, arkansas yeah. is at the top of the alphabet as well uh, and the uk post office really doesn't seem to mind mm. if the address has a random ar for arkansas mm. in it no. Um, and then I no. complain about that to my American friends, and they point out no. that British sites are just as pedantic about forcing them to put in UK postcodes. postcodes. So yeah. um, <laughs> it's a, a, a classic internationalization problem. You're it right, is, isn't, isn't
1: it? it? It's exactly the same thing with Swedish sites that like go international, and yeah, the whole web postcode is split up. It's, um... I always choose Michigan because I have friends
2: there. Exactly. Uh,
1: well, so we all have our little techniques mm-hmm. and patterns
2: that we follow when we're
1: doing this, um, this
2: kind of stuff. Right. But that is a perfect segue into why we are having you on the show, Caroline, is because you are a forms and survey specialist and you've been working with forms. I don't know. It's, I found somewhere it said for 15 years or something. No,
0: you're no. Writ- 20. You're- 20. 20 years. More wow. than 20. I started my... I just yeah. had the 20th <laughs> birthday of Effortmark Limited um, oh, wow. last month. Yeah. And I, and I'd been specialising in forms for beyond before that before I actually started the business. So more mm. than twenty years of being completely overexcited and interested in forms. Oh. Yeah.
1: So your so your background is is you've even been working with or um, well, you work with non digital forms as well then.
0: Oh sure yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah I I date back you know when I started <laughs> dinosaurs roamed the earth and we didn't have any internet mm. um, so. Uh, To be honest, I actually started in computer systems. So uh, before I got into um, what we called human-computer interaction in those days, it keeps changing its name. I keep doing the same stuff, but it keeps changing name. Um, I was a project manager, software engineer, and a project manager in computer systems. So um, a lot of my work, the the reason I got into forms was that I was a project manager Delivering optical character recognition systems to the Inland Revenue, as it was called at that time, yeah, um, and the, 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 ta- the tax authority, yeah. the tax authorities, yes, mm. um, they wanted to scan tax forms, um, obviously to save typing. And um, the sad part was that the systems really didn't work at all well. And mm. I got permission to go and find out what was actually happening in the various tax offices. Um, And I discovered that the forms were filled in extremely badly. So there was no way that my computer system was ever going to deal with a form where someone had written, please read attached letter. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't going to happen. So I then became really interested in, well, how do we design the forms so that they're filled in accurately? Because then my computer system would work. And I Mm -hmm. just became completely interested in how do you make, Forms easy to fill in, and there you go. As I said, it's a fascination that shows no signs of wearing off. Yeah,
2: that's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, it's when
1: you, when you mentioned it, one of my, my first um, oh, jobs that I did um, uh, in that bit after university um, was, was data entry. For, for British Gas, mm. when mm-hmm. they, used to, you know, they used to come with these piles of, um, well, completed work orders, I guess, and when, the, when the engineers had been out and done things for people's gas meters and so on. And that was just the things you got back on these pieces of paper was just crazy. And you sat there, having to, you had to fill them all into the system. So straight away, you see that, that problem of humans, paper, data entry.
0: And these days, I still completely recommend work observation to people you know Mm -hmm. go and go and watch people actually deal with the stuff and you'll learn an enormous amount and you and in particular I love a post room I love going to visit the post Mm -hmm. room and will indeed get up at 5am because a lot of large organizations like to open their post at times like 6am so that all the workers have the piles of post ready
2: Mm.
0: and waiting for them and you meet interesting nice people in the post room and you learn an awful lot about how forms actually arrive and what they really look like um, again there's a great story you know back in the day the revenue was thinking about using scanning for all their posts mm. and uh, went to the post room and and there was amazing things turned up in the post um, for example a box of uniforms um, arrived i was like how are you going to scan the uniforms exactly you know so the rule was that if a uniform had to be inspected by a tax officer to assess whether it was purely a uniform and therefore could not be used as normal clothing, because if you could wear the uniform as everyday clothing, then it was a taxable benefit, Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, just great. Yeah. yeah. Great yeah fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, so uh, paper, computer systems, and then the internet came along and web forms and that was really cool. Because you could get people to type stuff in on their computer rather than having mm. people type it in for them. And so much more efficient and wonderful. And so many new and interesting and exciting ways for people to mess up their forms, which oh, they carry yeah. on doing, yeah, to this yeah. Day. And
2: Of course, best case scenario, I mean, you can always, if you find that the form isn't working, you can change it much faster than if you have a thousand copies of it.
0: Absolutely. And you can also make an awful lot of people really upset because there's no way that they can write on the edge of the form. I don't know what button to click (laughs) just today. You know, today I tweeted an example where um, I, I happened to have a small problem with my foot. And I went to see the podiatrist, as they call the foot doctor. And he said, well, you need these special type of insoles. And he gave me a pair and they're great. And he said, order some spares. So I went onto a website to order some spares and it gave me two buttons to click, neither of which applied to me. Uh, What did I do? You know, Ah. I I need to buy the stuff. I need to get them from the manufacturer. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The choice was, are you a private practitioner or another type of practitioner? And there was no button or anything to do if you were just a normal person. Mm. And, I was stuck, so you know. I suppose you could stretch it to court, other, but, yeah. Yeah, there was there was nothing, and I rang rang them up, and they said, "Oh yes, we have a completely different website for the general public."
2: And I just oh. thought, well,
0: it would save you a lot of time and trouble if you had put that information on the contact us page, or indeed on the registration page. Yes. Oh. And um, anyway, great yeah, no, nice lady.
1: But they, but that's that's a, that's something that happened and i, I remember i um, i think it was last year i ordered some i think it was some timers so children's titles you know, so these kind of big colorful timers you have at schools kind of say if you've got five minutes left and then turn it over um and and the website i bought them from um it was really hard work ordering and i kind of thought this just feels really odd and wrong and then it took absolute age for the things to come i think it took mm. like four or five weeks and i kept ringing up and i kept getting you know real nice people apologizing to me and saying we well, i'm really sorry it's taking so long i mean they've, they've just missed your order again I know, something's not right so eventually i got to speak to the the director of this company and he explained to me that basically i was pretty much the first public you know private person who'd ordered anything from their <laughs> company website private previously they'd been education only only oh. selling to schools <laughs> and and what as it turned out was that they their, um, their um, stock room guys and, the, and the syst- how the system was built just wasn't at all prepared for this other channel in that people could mm. – private people could order it. So they were prioritizing these bulk orders for all the schools and leaving all the private individuals who kind of were only wanting one or two in a pile. And just mm. kind of, oh, we'll do that when the next lot of orders – when that lot of um, supply comes in. Mm. So like, it was just never getting fulfilled. Mm. So
2: but nothing, none
1: of this was apparent to me. As a I just looked like a normal mm-hmm. website, with a few quirks. Because, but I, you can tell these kind of things when, you're, when you work in the business. You, you'd feel the force says this isn't going to work well, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you do it but anyway. It,
0: it's such a great story because it just goes to show that some of the old-fashioned techniques that I used in the 1980s of going and observing people working – are still Mm. important you know even though we think it's all internet in the end an awful lot of this is is actually comes down to people in a warehouse or you know going and watching them work can tell Mm. you an enormous amount we 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 often need to get out of our offices and meet Mm. the people who are doing the real work yeah and then that can make life so much more efficient and these days of course i mean i've been doing that forever but these days it tends to be called something like journey mapping or touch point analysis or Mm. pain points or you know people keep changing the terms but it's still just down to basic common sense watching people work and having a think about Mm. it it is isn't it i
2: love that what you said before that i keep doing the same stuff but it's just changes its name and it's really really true didn't it used to be called Mm. was it time and motion Mm. studies Exactly, it, back in it did. many decades ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually gave a talk on that recently, recently. where I, where, I, where I used that example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. motion study yeah. Uh, with uh, Taylor and uh, the the Gilbreths. The, you know the the book and the film uh, uh, the the where the, they have a dozen children. That's actually based on the couple that uh, started uh, time studies in, in back in the Taylor days, and uh, he had an example where he was observing bricklayers. And the bricklayers were bending down each time to grab a brick and put it on put it on the wall. And he invented something that well, something that would hold the bricks for him that he didn't have to bend down. And they saved like eighty percent of time based on the motion studies and what he came up with. Yeah. And just observing patients in a room. Uh, or or uh, during an operation, observing a doctor during an operation, they they were the couple that actually uh, determined that. Oh my God, this doctor needs to ask for the instruments from a nurse, so that it, has, it doesn't have to walk back and forth to the table and get those instruments. Mm-hmm. And those so the, those people, based on those observations, are the reason that why operations are performed in that way today. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool, actually.
1: It is. It's, it's great.
2: So, we do. We all do nothing mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. optimize. We're just
1: constantly optimizing mm-hmm. everything we do. Mm-hmm. We call it designed, satis- don't we, well, but we're optimising.
0: Well, there's that. And hmm. that's us as designers, I guess. But what happens is that the people, people tend to satisfy rather than optimise. You know, mm. that they'll do what they can to get through the day. So the, the, the person that was observed picking up the book, that was a satisfying. That wasn't... It was because that person needed to get that job done Hmm. and was just muddling through. And we see that behavior all the time of people simply muddling through situations Hmm. and then they get used to it. Hmm. So this is another reason why we have to do the observation, because they forget they just do the work that they do. They don't have to recall it or think about it or do anything other than do their jobs Mm. Um, so going and observing them, but it's interesting that we're talking about some of the historic research, because one of the things that's absolutely fascinating me about the field of surveys is that it's a field with a tremendously long literature. So one of the most cited and actually most interesting papers in the world of survey methodology is the famous rensis Likert paper from 1932, Okay. Which is the one that talks about what's now known as Likert, Likert scales or Likert response formats, and there's an interestingly fine distinction between those two.
2: Oh, I've always pronounced that Likert. So now I hear what you're saying. Yes.
0: <laughs> I believe that I believe that Mr. Likert <laughs> called it Likert, but okay. I shall just have to double check.
2: You're you're probably yeah. right. I just I, I probably just read it all, everywhere and I just pronounced it Likert scale. <laughs> um, one one and, of the problems we have yeah. been been non well speaking
1: lots and lots of English in Sweden, but yeah. not always having English speaking input. We sometimes yeah. just make them up.
0: Well, mm. and who can say how a name is pronounced in English <laughs> yeah. until you ask the person <laughs> exactly themselves? You have no chance, really. No. Um, yeah, so that that just goes to show you know there's been. Uh, surveys going for a long time and I got Mm. into the whole world of surveys because I was looking for what research had been done in forms and discovered that consistently people really haven't researched forms they've just assumed I don't know why they don't research them but they don't but the survey methodologists have done enormous amounts of research and um, continue to do so so practically every country I mean There are 190-odd different national statistical institutes listed on the United Nations website, for example. Mm. Virtually every country in the world has a central statistical authority. Majority of official statistics arise from surveys. So this survey methodology going on at a national, international level has been for decades, centuries even. Mm. Um, Enormous amount of interesting literature, all of which is a lot of which is about how do people answer questions, how they think about questions, how to get better answers to questions. So all of that's very interesting for forms. Um, and that's kind of how I got into surveys, sort of by accident, really, hmm. because that was where I could find um, insights for my forms work. Um, but recently I've become more and more interested in surveys too, and that's what I'm mostly um doing in workshops uh, at the moment is survey um, workshops Um, just come back from doing one at uxlx Um, the Mm. slides are on my slideshare account and i'm just preparing one for the user experience professionals conference which is uh, in a in less than a month now in london
2: Right, so that, that's uh, you you're were, you were at UXLX, which is the first year in many years that we haven't been there, uh, so you have to tell us how that experience was as well, uh, going there and giving that talk and how, how people appreciated your the talk that you gave in the workshop.
0: It's a great conference, you yeah. know it, it, you, If you've been, you know it's, it's the most international conference that I've been to. Um, I was lucky enough to go and do a talk on forms at the first one in 2010. Ah, right. Um, ah. so it was a real pleasure to be invited mm. back to do mm. something on surveys at the most recent mm. one, um, had about, I guess, 25 people, mm. um, in my workshop and probably representing at least a dozen countries, oh, excellent. um, which was great um and we we had a good productive time i think so we were doing a bit of a deep dive into questions mm. um looking first of all at the four step model for answering questions and then we had a good look at uh asking about satisfaction and the mm. um the sa- post task satisfaction questionnaires um and oh, that, that yeah. was fun Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's quick, relevant as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause yeah. the four, um, the four steps that was, um, I've got, I've got the presentation in front of me now, so I'm going to cheat and read, it. <laughs> um, read and understand, find the answer, judge the answer and place the answer. Correct. Yeah. Do you uh, I, me I was, elaborate? me no, Absolutely. Cause I, 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 pretty, I think I would have come to the workshop if I'd been there. Cause I think this is, um, I mean, it's a fascinating subject cause we're, we're, con- as, well, when we're doing UX research, we're, we're constantly asking questions. We're constantly placing questions or, mm. or we're asking for, like you said, the, the post-task or um, post-test um, um, questionnaires, you know, system usability scales or whatever it is. We're constantly throwing questions at people with scales here and there and mm. um, net promoter scores. And um, when you start digging into it, which you know, which is easily done when you look through the presentation, there's so many little things, so many, so many details. Just like with everything else we do, it's, it's all about the detail and understanding yeah. what you're doing.
2: So it is actually easy for us to understand how you can get passionate about forms, although mm. when I have given uh, talks about specific web forms and I try to pitch it to my client, it, the first thing that comes out of the mouth is that that sounds really, really boring <laughs> uh, and and forms tend to have an effect on people it, that well, just forms that 's boring but um, if we get back to you, the four steps that you were the, that you just read up, read there, uh, James is that read and understand and find an answer the one that really caught my mind my eye when i was looking at the presentation was judge the answer because i couldn't i wouldn't have picked that out uh, just thinking about it so guide us through with those steps caroline and what do they really mean
0: <laughs> well I, I i think you know read and understand is, mm. is pretty obvious if you can't yeah. read the question if it's illegible you can't understand it if you can't understand it you can't try and answer it so those are sort of obvious finding an answer um Some questions we do have answers just in our heads, you know, so you just asked me a question and I know this stuff pretty well. So I have the answer directly in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, If you wanted to find an explanation, you would possibly have to go and read something or look it up or or hunt for it. So um, one of the classic examples I give on finding an answer is. When you pay for something using a credit card now. Some people are very good with numbers and have memorised the long number on their credit card. Mm. I'm very bad with numbers and I have to read the number off the card. I have to have the physical card in front of me and I have to copy it digit by digit. So I have to find an answer, I have to look at something else to have an answer to that. Um, Judging the answer is something that we generally are fairly happy to reveal answers to people, but... If you think about privacy, that a lot of us, um, I don't want to shock you, but many people actually have a completely full set of information that they use on the Internet. I know. I know you can't credit it, can you? Obviously, majority of people always give exactly their precise, correct and accurate personal details on all occasions. But there is this behavior which I've heard of where people may not always wish to reveal that to everybody. And that's where they're judging the answer. They're deciding, is this an answer I actually want to tell someone? Um, and um, you can, for example, have on some websites I've seen which have been thoughtfully designed against email address, they may have a link to click to say, how will use your email address. Um, which for people who are sensitive about privacy might be the difference between revealing their actual email address or making one up. Um, Mm. So that's the judging part. Mm. Do people actually want to give you this answer and are they willing to give you the correct information? Um, And then the placing the answer thing is exactly that problem I was just talking about where I had an answer for that website, which is to say I want to purchase as a private individual, but the only options they gave me was which type of doctor are you? Mm. you know, there, there was no place for me to tell them I'm not a doctor, I'm just an individual person. So it's extremely common for there to be fewer choices in the mind of an organization than there are in real life.
1: Mm. Um, yeah. So another example maybe would be um, male, female, or none of your business.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And indeed, the Australian government mm. has now has official Australian government policy is male, female, or other. So yeah. some people are quite happy to tell you what their gender is, but it's neither male nor female. Um, yeah.
2: Of course. And some yeah. pe- people can be offended by just having the other box to check because there are, well, I think Facebook has 23 different genders that uh, you can right. select. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're, you're in the middle of a sex change. You're had a sex change. You're transvest. Yeah. There's, there's, oh. there's a lot.
0: And why should Mm. you reveal all those details, you know? But it just goes to show there's very few questions where there are only exactly the sort of answers that I call it the answers in the official minds and may not match up the the answers in the main real world. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, And I find that four-step framework is a very powerful way of looking at questions in general. Mm. Um, It comes out of the world of survey methodology um which is you know shows how the two fields can be uh, usefully inform each other really. Hmm. So um we we did a lot of digging into that at, at the UXLX um uh, workshop. Um for the one coming up in London, um it's a workshop that's specifically aimed at experienced practitioners. Okay. So I'm really taking the opportunity to kind of max it out with the challenge and <laughs> hit people with some fairly mm. challenging or difficult mm. concepts and, and seeing how they fly. That people... You've got an example of one. You've got to give an example
1: I mean, now of a, of a difficult concept. That sounds great.
2: Uh,
0: an example of difficult concept. Well, the, the really interesting concept is the concept of total survey error. So the survey methodologists um, do not think just about sampling error or statistical significance. So um, one of the things people say is, well, how many people do I have to survey in order to achieve statistical significance? Um, Which is sort of worth asking. But no matter how many people you ask a question of, if it's a stupid question, You won't achieve real significance. You can achieve practical significance, but with uninteresting answers. So um, total survey error is about looking at your overall costs, um, both actual costs in terms of how many people you ask and how much data you're going to have to process. And cognitive costs, as in how much burden are you putting on the population that you're surveying? Um, Is that worthwhile should you be asking fewer questions of fewer people so exactly. the answer is nearly always mm. yes mm. Um, one, of, so one of you're the, trying yeah. to
2: balance really you're trying to balance the pain of doing the stuff with the value of doing it
0: right and mm. and um, looking at things like coverage error so mm. um, you could get fifty thousand responses is that good or bad is fifty thousand a good representation mm. of the population you 're trying to survey or not mm. so for example, fifty thousand responses generated by people who are on Twitter would not be a good representation of for example the u k population because only a small minority of us are on twitter
1: mm. yeah. god now you've made me think of um i um I got a new car this year um, and um well, I, I got rung up um, a couple of times um, by the car company to ask how the whole experience was. I mean, I'm, I'm used to them doing that because I've had a car from um, from them before. Um, but this time I got a, I, I got a new car survey and I didn't fill it in. The reason I didn't fill it in is because, if memory serves me right, it was about 30 pages. Ooh. And <laughs> and I flick through it and I'm, I'm just looking and thinking, my God, I mean, it's all in Swedish as well. I'm thinking oh how am i gonna how long is it gonna take me what am i gonna do and these like pictures of cars he's asking me to tell what i think about this bit that bit how it is to drive how it is to buy you know what i thought about it before there was just endless number of questions it's there was there was nothing not in this survey and i said i didn't i didn't fill it in and i I normally do quite like filling in surveys. (laughs) There's, there's a bit of me that enjoys it um but now i'm reflecting on it and thinking with what you've just said caroline that the people who do bother to fill that survey in, they can't possibly be representative because who (laughs) in their right mind is going to fill in that survey with no reward or anything? I mean, it's Mm. just for pure joy. I'll have to see if I've still got it, and I might even send you it, Caroline, because um, even though it's in well, Swedish, I think you'll excellent. like it.
0: Well, that, that's an interesting example, because that's another type of error that comes into total survey error. That's uh, an error called non-response error.
2: Mm. So
0: another sort of error you have to think about is even if you've sent your survey to a good random sample that does directly represent the population of interest... If you've got a situation where the people who don't respond differ from the people who mm. do respond in some way that matters to your survey, then you've got non-response error. Yeah. Okay. And and you can see how your sampling is not going to help that. Taking a better sample will not solve non-response error. Mm. Um, and you're addressing the problem there where you're saying, well, actually, I think only people who are particularly boring will answer this survey. And do they really want to infer the general population characteristics just on people who are completely obsessed and boring? Mm, yeah. Maybe yeah. they do. Maybe that's, what, that's fine. Exactly.
1: Or every, every um, single person with two kids and everyone full-time jobs mm-hmm. who doesn't have anywhere near enough time to fill in the 30-page survey are not going to
2: respond. So then you, right. you end up cutting out an entire segment But you did touch upon something else there. Also, James, you said something and there wasn't even a reward. And that's Mm -hmm. something I I wanted to talk about a bit is what what if there was a reward? And given that there were also 30 pages and you had 500 questions with the Likert scale with your strongly disagree to strongly agree. And in the end, having filled out a lot of those types of surveys, I realized that as I get further and further into it, I'm, I'm getting more and more tired and I'm not really concentrating on the answers. And I realized, well, I'm just checking I'm sort of agreeing with the with the questions because I I'm sort of know, half expect what the questions are going to be. And so I'm, I'm guessing that the reward, if I, I want the reward enough, I'm going to complete the survey, but I may not really be truthful in my answers or give them en- enough thought for them to be represent- representative of what I really feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a phenomenon of people hmm. people's level of interest can hmm. decline. Hmm. Um, and really it's, also a questionnaire of, of putting too much burden on the respondents. So you can persuade people to answer for longer by giving them a better reward, but you can't stop them getting bored um, yeah. if you bore them, you know. <laughs> and That's a perfect. Lot of, yeah, I love that. <laughs> a lot of market, I mean, a lot of surveys and market research have not moved on conceptually, I think, mm. from... You know, if you go back to the 1950s or before, collecting answers to a survey meant sending out someone with a survey as an interviewer and getting them to sit down with someone and they would have a conversation and write down all the answers. Well, that's a very expensive collection procedure. So once you've decided to do that, you really want to wring every last possible shred of opinion out of the person Mm. you're interviewing and in those days, I'm assuming surveys were a, possibly a nice novel interruption into the humdrum level of everyday life, possibly, or maybe people were just very busy. But because surveys were few and far between, there was a level of novelty.
1: You felt well, you felt special, maybe. I mean, I, I remember. Yeah, you felt special. Yeah, when those yeah. days, when someone rang up and said, "Do you do you mind if we come round and talk to you about, um, I don't know, um, radio listenership behaviour or something?" When um, they come round and talk to you about. BBC radio and things it was it was quite interesting you felt mm. like you were important you were valued because um, right. it was unusual
0: right. and you were mm. and you still ought to feel important and valued and unusual exactly but when it's done in a very impersonal way and when it's one of the many different things that compete for your attention in a very busy information stream that's being housed at us and when it's possible to reach far more people far more easily then I think we should get over asking people quite so many questions. Um, These days, I think we can do what I call patchworking, which is my own name for it, which is instead of asking 500 people 50 pages of questions, you could ask 100 people five questions and another 100 people a different five questions and another 100 people a different Mm -hmm. five questions, possibly with one or two questions that are common. And build up a sort of patchwork quilt picture of your data, um which sounds much more laborious but and it sounds as if it wouldn't be representative, but it's much more likely to be representative than asking two or three people who've got loads of time on their hands and maybe completely unrepresentative of population, everything. Mm-hmm. it would be better to get little bits of very representative data and make a sort of mosaic or patchwork picture that is a good picture than have very large amounts of very unrepresentative data. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, it does. Yes, I, it I, does. Mean, I think it's an absolute I, I, I've never idea. heard of it before. Mm. It's an
1: excellent um, idea. Yeah. I was just thinking as well that you know so, so often now we see um, you know the, the the layer comes up on the website in the middle of you doing something else, which is your actual task on the website, and ask you, do you have a few minutes of your time to answer some questions about our website? And straight away <laughs> there, right? You're, you're distracted, you're irritated, mm. and you've got to click yes or no. But that in itself, using the matchwork method that you described now, Caroline. that itself could be a question. Mm. So if you're going to get them to do one click, you might as well ask them the question straight off and get them to click there mm. on that one.
0: That's right. And 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 also, if you can try and build some confidence in the population, Now, what we're doing at the moment is, um, I think organisations are systematically training their customers to ignore them. Um, so, mm. for mm. example... Um, Hey, let's name and shame. British Telecom, great big um, major telecom supplier in the UK. I did a small study, a qualitative study of survey response um, a couple of summers ago. And a friend of mine was very kind and kept records of every survey she filled in for a month. And she was having a couple of problems with her telephone at the time. And the first time she contacted customer support at BT, they sent her a how was this for you survey and she filled it in. The problem wasn't resolved. And the second time she contacted them, they sent her the same survey and she filled it in, but she wasn't really happy about it. Hmm. And by the third time she contacted them and they sent her the same survey, she decided never to answer their surveys ever again. Of course. So in the course (laughs) of a month, they trained her to be a completely dedicated non-respondent. Hmm. And I think many organizations are doing that to their customers by yeah. asking them too often, hmm. which is sad.
2: Yeah. Oh, we've lost James.
0: We lost James. We lost James. I'm oh, going to call no, him up back. again. No, I, yeah.
1: I've i managed to come back. I don't really know oh,
0: okay.
1: what happened to me or where I went, but sorry for yeah. that. Okay.
0: I mean, as you can tell, I'm developing an insane interest in surveys as well as an insane interest in forms. Uh, I I find it inexplicable that anyone would think they were boring. (laughs) You know, and and, I I have a lot of chats with Craig, well, internet chats with Craig Sullivan, the um, conversion specialist.
1: Ah, We're a big fan of Craig. He's been on the show um, a record number of times, three times. Oh, cool. He's a
0: good guy. And, And, you know, he and I both understand that when you talk about conversion, the only part of the conversion funnel that's not optional is the form. <laughs> yeah. You better get that right. <laughs> um, if 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 that part's not working, well, then then you, you can now. do what you like in the rest of it. it the rest of it's now. optional, yeah. but your form is your non-optional part. That so is, yeah. should that be the that. most interesting. Oh. Yeah. Um, it Would seems you... to be complaining about a call to me as well. So, as I mentioned, I, I have been having problems with power cuts today. So um, perhaps we should think about um, wrapping, wrapping up. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I hate to say that because I love chatting about this stuff so much. No,
1: we, yeah, we only we, we only we, we,
2: well. we, we scratched the surface really because we haven't talked about you know how sensitive a topic is that we're asking about, how do we formulate the questions and uh, stuff like that? How exactly. we how do we make people understand what the question is and what what type question. of response we're Expecting I mean, even legibility. I know that you've talked about that in your workshop as well, Caroline. The, the typeface, the, the font, the, the how um, how how legible it is. Is it black and white, or it's, are you using colors that distract the user? There are so many aspects of online forms that it's just mind blowing.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about the old um, the question mm-hmm. bias as well. How you, you you knowingly or unknowingly write biased questions. Mm-hmm. I, I got an example about that as well.
0: Um. So. <laughs> there you go you see i'm i'm i detect a little bit of forms passion coming through there i can feel the infection (laughs) spreading out you know be careful because if it hits you bad you might be stuck with it for the next 20 years um but it's it's been lovely to have an opportunity to chat with you and and i just hope well perhaps you could consider coming over to london to um join in my tutorial it's on monday monday the 22nd of july i think
2: We'll put up a link to it and the show notes as well.
0: That would be great. And yeah. let me just correct that. It's actually Monday, the 21st of July. I said I'm always pretty challenged <laughs> about my numbers. So um, it's an evening tutorial at, uh, at connected mm. with the UXPA conference. Mm. So there we go. I'm sure that would be um, absolutely excellent. Mm. But
1: we'll, um, we'll um, you know, I think we we'll probably will invite you back on again at some point in the future, Caroline, because um, I. I I can tell we could fill up definitely more than one show oh, yeah. with, um, with content we're talking with you
0: mm. <laughs> uh, that would be terrific so it's just been such a pleasure to have an opportunity to share some of my passions um, with you and hope we'll meet up in person sometime or perhaps have another chance to have a chat
2: oh yeah definitely absolutely thank you so much for being with us thanks everyone you welcome mm. thank you um, <laughs> Uh, all right then. Uh, wow, I, w- I was just getting started. Really, uh, <laughs> we could have talked for ages.
1: We could. It was very good. It's it's, it's not very often one of our guests actually reminds us that we need to wrap up. Yeah, um, that exactly. was, it was, it was really good of her to help us because yeah. I I I could have talked now for another couple of hours because yeah. um, oh, forms are one thing and mm. then is another. And, and yeah.
2: but it's fantastic how we started out thinking we were going to talk about forms, we started Service. talking. Well, surveys as well, but but ended up talking about history lessons in in yeah. in, 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 in time management and stuff or time studies. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's, yeah. well, it's all related. Yeah, um, well, and the importance of observation is really what we we're talking about, I guess. Yeah,
1: hmm. and and yeah, and how easy you can mess things
2: mm-hmm. up, which goes to show that it, I mean, forms and surveys are a perfect example of. How you can design really the perfect form in the end, but if it doesn't fit with the organization and the effects that you want to achieve and the resources that you have on hand it's it's not going to work anyway so
1: and and those being surveyed mm. exactly yeah it's um mm. oh God. yeah,' so much more to talk about, mm. so much more to do and look at mm. um <laughs> yeah excellent fun well um it's time to wrap up um it is. and thank you all very much um for listening. you can um find us of course as always as ux podcast absolutely everywhere and also on uxpodcast.com where you will find um, links we mentioned during the show
2: um, and other little details so, well, getting into are, details are, are so we on. still on spotify what's the deal with that are we
1: are we... Oh, we, we are clinging on by our yeah. fingernails wow. um there'll be a few, few more i think we've up till august we'll be pushing out new episodes
2: okay uh, but we'll um, have to have a serious talk with spotify then i
1: guess we do need to talk mm-hmm. to spotify mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay then remember to keep moving